Well, it's good to be back here after such a long time, and it, it was before COVID last time I was here. It feels like a long time ago, but at the same time, it feels like coming back home, and uh, not so long ago, and it's really refreshing being back here, even though I have to still fight with Paul Cliff over theology so much, and uh, it, it's really exhausting being right so many times <laughs> and having to convince him that he's not that right. But uh, it's really good to be back here. Jackie and Paul really welcome uh, us all the time with so much love and all of you. Thank you for having us. Well, uh, Sim uh, introduced us already. I just, um, we've been here for almost five months now. We came for six after two years back in Brazil. What happens is every two years, uh, my mission statement requires me to come back for six months for research and writing. So both Anna and I are working uh, on different books at Tyndale House in Cambridge. Uh, that has been a blessing to us, that place. Anna has just finished hers, and I'm still working on mine. My deadline is July, and uh, kind of uh, our topics uh, overlap a bit and complement each other because I'm talking about, I'm writing about reconciliation and the idea that uh, the reconciliation we enjoying we enjoy with God means that we live in a reconciling community as well. So the unity of the church and relationships and things like that. And I we truly believe that it's a need in Brazil right now. We need to talk about unity. It's a very fragmented society and church. And uh, God has been good to us, allowing us the opportunity to work on those topics. And I just want, once again, thank you so much for your support and partnership with us. Uh, I'm not only talking about the financial support, but more importantly, is your prayer and love and care. We know that our fight is not against blood and flesh, that's what the Apostle Paul says, but it's against the principles and spirits of this world. It's about the, uh, the times and the, there is a spiritual battle. And we know that, it, Anna and I know very well that we cannot do this on our own, on our own without prayer partners people who lift us up in prayer. And we are so much encouraged by that. So we appreciate your support and your sacrificial love for us. May God bless you for all of this. Now to the most important part of my um, time with you here. Uh, let's open our Bible in Colossians. Paul's letter to the Colossians. You might not be surprised uh, about me opening the Bible in Colossians. So Colossians chapter 1, I want to talk about something that is um, very close to my heart in a text by Paul that always challenges me and encourages me so much, and I pray that it will encourage you and challenge you as well. So Colossians chapter 1, uh, I will read from verses 24 through 29, so through the end of the chapter. So Colossians 1, 24 through 29. This is what the Word of God says. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God's that was given to me uh, for you, 
to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ for this in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Amen. We've prayed already. R.C. Sproul, uh, I'm, I'm quite sure you might have heard of him already, uh, says uh, something interesting about one experience he had with one of his students. And I quote him when he says something like this. I remember he says in this book, a college student who looked at me and asked uh, in wonder, this is what the student asked him. What was it like when you were just a minister? I couldn't hold back, says Sproul. I exploded in a moment of indignation. What do you mean by just a minister? Don't you realize that the ministry is the highest calling on earth? God had only one son, and he made him a preacher. What Paul says to us here speaks very directly to ministers, to all of us who share the Word of God in our context of ministry, more formal ministry maybe, but actually it expands and talks to all of us who actually know that our ministry in life as a believer is to be witnesses to Christ. That's what we've been called to by the Lord and sent out uh, in the world to be witnesses, to talk about the gospel. And what Paul says here about himself, because now he's reflecting about his calling, applies to all of us. Therefore, I want you to take those words uh, as they really are meant to be speaking to you. It is true that the office of preaching the gospel, witnessing to Christ, as well as the gospel itself is glorious. However, the messenger needs to approach his office with what I think is very important, with a servant's heart. And that's what I want to talk to you uh, this, after, uh, this morning. Is to talk, I want to talk to you about the pains, the struggles, and the glory of the ministry that we've been given by the Lord. We have a lot to learn from the Apostle Paul's ministry experience here. Uh, Paul concludes, for example, verse 23, if you look back at the text, and if you can, please keep your Bible open because we're going to be looking at this text a lot here. In verse 23, just the verse previous, before what we read this morning, he says, If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the version that I am using here. I don't know which one you're using there. Is this the IN, uh, yeah, INV? NIV is much better because I don't know what's behind that, but he talks about servant. That's what he says. No worries about that. What he says is, I, Paul, have become 
a servant, you can trust me. That's what the NIV says. So, have you seen it? Yeah, so you can testify to that. So the word ministry means actually a servant. It's a beautiful word, ministry, but what it means in the New Testament is a servant. The same word that you could use for a slave as well. That's what Paul is saying. I am a servant of God in the work of spreading the word of God. That's what he says. Now, once Paul finishes that first section of Colossians, reminding his audience that he is himself a servant of God, Paul goes on to elaborate on the nature of that ministry, and particularly its significance for the Colossian church. So, the first thing that I want to talk to you this morning and I want to highlight here is Paul's ministry attitude. Paul's ministry attitude. It's fine. You don't need to worry about the screen. Just worry about the word in front of your eyes and we're going to read it. That's what we need this morning. So, Paul goes on to talk about his ministry and its importance and implications for the church. He's talking to you now. Just remember that. And the first thing that I want to highlight for us here is his attitude. Paul's attitude. Look at verse 24 again. Look at your Bible. Verse 24, he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. That's a funny expression here. That's a funny attitude, don't you think? Especially in the West. Suffering, rejoicing suffering. Where, uh, when we have gone so far trying to mitigate all kinds of sufferings, and if we can even avoid death itself, I mean, science is there. Medicine is there. Everything is made, or lots of things at least in science is made, towards that very goal of mitigating suffering. But Paul is saying, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. There is a purpose. He's not being somber here. He's not saying that he loves suffering for the sake of suffering. He says that he rejoices in suffering for your sake, the sake of the church. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. The first thing we can notice here is Paul's ministry attitude, his rejoicing for the church in the midst of suffering. Suffering with joy. These two things go together uh, all the time in the New Testament. You'll see it coming up over and over again. But how did Paul, Paul's suffering benefit the church of God? He says that he rejoices in suffering for the sake of the church. How does that work? How does his, his suffering benefit the church at large? Paul is talking about afflictions here, and he says that he rejoices in filling up uh, the afflictions, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And I just want you to understand that Paul is not talking here about any kind of necessary suffering for salvation. He's not saying here, he's far from that, He's not saying that what Christ did on the cross was insufficient, that he needed to do anything else to bring salvation to you. What Christ did on the cross was absolutely sufficient and final. Final, once for all. It's finished, said Christ on the cross. You know that. That's not what Paul means. What does he mean then? Well, this is very much in line with what Paul understood of the Old Testament. And one thing that, you, that we know from the New Testament 
is that the apostles understood that with the coming of Jesus Christ, the last days of humanity were inaugurated. In other words, since Christ came on earth to earth, we have been living, you and I, in the last days that were prophesied by the, by the prophets in the Old Testament. This is the last chapter of our history, if you will. Even though it's taking 2,000 years, for the Lord, Peter says, is like two days. This is the last time. We live in the last days. The very last day is still to come. But the last days, the last era, the last season of human history has begun in Christ. We are now walking fast towards the end. And he's coming. And that will be the last day. Paul understood that we lived within the last days. This was very important for the way Paul faced life. And this is very important for the way you should face life. We don't live as if this life here is forever. We live for another world. Because Paul knew that he was living in the last days, he understood that he was a citizen of the heavenly country. So we, we are here still. We're still waiting for the, for the last day, but we already experience the life eternal. And because of that, Paul understood also that as the prophets had prophesied, during this time in between the ages, the old age, the old, old creation and the new creation that is uh, being uh, fulfilled and consummated at Christ's coming, we would have to go through tribulations, suffering. Paul understood that tribulation trials would be inevitable in the kingdom of God. But again, what Paul is doing here is just reflecting uh, what Jesus himself had said. He never uh, misled you. Jesus never misled you. He never said that following him would be easy. You know, he never said that. He said, well, if you want to come after me, if you want to follow me, follow me. Great, that's the, the best choice you can ever made in your whole life. But you need to take up a cross, you see. You need to die daily for me. Because that's what Jesus did for us, and that would characterize our life as well. So what Paul is saying here is that while we, uh, uh, whereas we have been already experiencing this new life in Christ in the last days, we are still in this earth that is taken by and is uh, somehow afflicted by the darkness or the kingdom of darkness, as Paul says in the very uh, first chapter of Colossians verse 13. And he says that while he does this, he uh, carries on the ministry of Christ. Christ was the suffering servant. And Paul is saying that all of us now reflect Christ as we experience a bit of the suffering servant's uh, fate. And that's how the church progresses and how this, this is how the, the kingdom of God moves forward. Paul's apostolic ministry is an extension of Christ's work in the world. 
Paul identifies, identifies his own sufferings closely with the sufferings of Christ, just the way Jesus said all of us should do. John Piper, once, uh, the American preacher, once said that a thousand sorrows prepare a man to preach. You see, a thousand sorrows mature a Christian woman and man. A thousand sorrows have the power when we experience those things in Christ and for Christ, for the sake of his church, have the power to get us closer to him, to experience what Christ experienced, to have the same attitude the apostles, Paul, John, and the others in Jerusalem had when they were flogged by the name of God, when they were in prison for Christ, they got out of prison, they were spanked, bitten, they go back and they pray, and the text says that they rejoiced because they were found, uh, they had the honor, the privilege of going through the same things their master, our Lord, uh, had to go through. In Psalm 119, 71, the psalmist says, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. But you see, in light of all this, Paul is not being ungrateful, gloomy. He's not brooding. What's happening? I'm such a faithful Christian, and I have to go through this suffering. He understood that we were in the last days. He, he understood that that wasn't the most important thing in life, not suffer. That's impossible if you're a Christian, you see. It's not about suffering or not suffering. It's about how we experience it for the Lord. The Christian life presupposes struggles and sufferings. To the Corinthians, Paul says that besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches, apart from all the physical struggles. But I love Philippians 1.18. Paul is in prison. The Philippian church sends some delegates to see how Paul is doing, just to check in on him and see if he's doing okay. Paul says, well, you're right. He, he writes a letter back to them. They didn't have WhatsApp then, so he has to write this letter. He writes a letter and, and sends it back to him, to them, saying, basically, listen, it's true. It's true what you heard. I am in prison here. So not only that, I've been in prison for a while for the Lord. I am a prisoner of Christ. But there are also some people who are preaching the gospel, who are preaching Christ out of jealousy. Do you know what they want to do? They want to afflict me with what they are doing. That's what they are doing. And I am in prison here. But you know what? And I love when he says this. He says, but what does it matter? Can you imagine? You're in prison. In Rome. It's not like the prisons you have today. I'm not saying that today is better. Well, today is less awful than it was then in the dungeon. He says, what does it matter, brother? Thank you for your concern, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. You see that he's not rejoicing, suffering out of a dark heart. He's suffering He's rejoicing in it because he knows that he's not called to enjoy a comfortable, healthy life 
He is called to glorify His Lord, and He loves seeing Christ being known, and the word is spreading. So he, that's His attitude. That his attitude. That is His attitude towards His ministry of suffering. But the second thing is, we've seen His a bit of His uh, attitude. But in second place, the second point is the charge of Paul's ministry. Look at verses. 25 through 27. Paul says, of which, he's talking about the church, he finishes talking about the, the church, that's the, the last thing he says in, the, in verse 24, his body, that is the church, of which, of this church, I became a servant. My Bible says a minister. That's a perfectly fine, good word to translate the Greek word. That's okay. But just think, when he says minister, he means servant. That's what the word minister means here. Of which, of the church, I became a servant according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. What is the charge of Paul's ministry? In a very simple uh, expression, preach the word. Preach the word, verse 5, to make the word of God fully known. What is the, the source of Paul's commission? What is the source of Paul's calling to do this, of the charge? God himself. Paul had been taken up by God, gifted with God's gift, and led by God's spirit into ministry. God did all that exactly how the way he did to me and you. You may not have had a Damascus experience when you saw the Lord appearing to you like Paul did, but we all had our Damascus experience. The day the Lord found us, He came to us, He chose us, He saved us, He called us to be witnesses to Christ, to preach the gospel. We had all that. He is the source of our ministry. He is the one who called us and he's the one who sent us away to preach the gospel. A young man once in uh, Spurgeon's school for preachers in London said to him, came to him and said, I want to be uh, a pastor, a preacher. Spurgeon had a look at him. He was a thin guy, very fragile, apparently physically. And just remember back then you had to preach. I mean, Spurgeon had to preach to about 5,000 people without microphones, none of that. So in, in this Persian's mind, for you to be able, for you to be fit to preach, you would have to have a you know, strong like chest, thorax. You had to show that, okay, you've got the power to speak loudly enough. So he looked at him and said, uh, he, he, he looks a bit sick, a bit ill. It's not good enough. And he said, boy, you should try and do something else. You're not good enough. And I don't think God has called you to do this. You should maybe go and try to do something else. The guy comes up to him, a young man, and says, listen, sir, with all due respect, the only way you, sir, can prevent me from preaching the gospel is by cutting my throat. I can go away. I may not, I may not be trained in your school, but the only way you can prevent me from preaching the gospel is by cutting my throat. Spurgeon said, I am so sorry. You are admitted. You can come to my school because... You can't hold it in, can you? We can't hold it in. It's like what Jeremiah says, it's, it burns within me. I can't contain it anymore. 
I need to speak out. It is really strange when Christ's witnesses don't feel compelled, compelled to share the good news of Christ. Paul says, listen, I've been called to make the word of God fully known. And you know what? I love when Paul refers to himself as minister or as a servant because we, all of us, preachers, pastors, missionaries in particular, but all of us need to cultivate a servant's heart. Pastors and gospel workers and Christians in general need to cultivate, cultivate their pastors and people in general, Christians in general, who do not understand they are called to serve, you see, to serve, are at great risk. There is, for example, the risk of pride if you don't understand that you are here to serve the Lord by or through serving His church and the world. Pride. We need, to watch, we need to watch our hearts for pride 24-7, don't we? And if you don't know that you are here to serve and you want to be served, you may not get served. And you, you may get prideful because you think that you are a minister. It's a beautiful word. In Portuguese, it's a beautiful word. It's a word that we use for those in the Supreme Court. It's becoming a joke already. But anyway, minister, servant. You're here to serve. There is the risk of insecurity. How many pastors and missionaries, gospel workers, Christians in general are so insecure? We might become too sensitive to criticism. You know what? Because we believe we are bigger than we are really, really are and that we deserve all the honors, all the accolades that they have for us. So we need constant reassurance, validation from people. And when you preach the gospel, seeing Paul, Stu, Steve, all the others, and when you witness to Christ outside your comfort zone, there is only one person really you need to please, the Lord. Paul says so in Galatians 1, when he says, have I among you ever tried to please men with my ministry? Because if I did so, I would not be worthy of the Lord. I'm here to, pre to please the God the Lord that called me to be witness. We run the risk of resentment if we don't have a servant's heart, if we don't cultivate a servant's heart. They do not accept, my, they do not accept any measure, or we would not accept uh, any measure of suffering for the church, and we resent the fact that we have to suffer. The charge of Paul's ministry is to preach the gospel. In what is the content of this preaching? Look at verses 26 and 27. He says that he was called to make the word of God fully known, the mystery. He's explaining this word of God now. The mystery hidden from ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Why is this mystery? To them, to the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And now he will say what the mystery is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The word mystery here 
means a truth about God and His salvation plan, eternal plan of salvation, that had remained hidden in the past for a while, but which is now revealed in Christ. So before Christ, the mystery was there. God had always had a plan to save us, but it wasn't plain. It wasn't so clear in the Old Testament, if, in the Old Testament, if you will. It wasn't that clear, but Paul is, Paul is saying now, listen, in Christ, God has made known what he's always planned since before the foundation of the world for us. And then in verse 27, he clarifies what this is. He says that the mystery is the inclusion of everyone, of Gentiles. You see, in the Jewish mentality, the way the Jewish people back then saw the world and understood humanity was, in their mind, very clear and very well defined. For the Jews, you had the nation that God chose, the Jewish nation, Israel. So Israel was here, God's people. All the rest of humanity was on this side, and they called them Gentiles. It's another word for the nations, everybody else. So they understood that when God called Abraham, and from Abraham God brought up a great nation, he, they understood that they were that nation, that they were the promised nation, the, the, the nation to which God had promised the land, had promised the Messiah, had promised you see, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and everything else, salvation. What, at some point, they misunderstood was why God had called them. And God had called Abraham, and even in Genesis 12, you can see this, God says to him, listen, you're going to go. I'm going to make a huge nation out of you. For what? In order that all the nations will be blessed by you. So all the nations. Israel was called to be a light to the nations. You know what I mean? Pointing to Christ. Pointing to the Messiah. So everybody would come to Christ. Paul is saying, listen, this was a bit hidden in the past. They didn't get it. But in Christ, God made it plain, clear to all of us that God is now in Christ. God has now in Christ redefined God's people. Now God's people is made of all those people, everyone from every nation, every tribe, every language who submits to the Lordship of Christ by faith, confesses the Lord as their Lord and Savior. They then become the people of God. You know what I mean? That's a blessing. That's how you, if you've come to the Lord, have been made a son or a daughter of God in Christ. That's the blessing of, that's the good news of the gospel. Is that we now can come and take part in all God's promises for his people. To understand what I'm saying, this is a huge news. This is gospel. This is good news. Paul is saying that my job is to make everyone know what God has revealed in Christ. The mystery. The mystery. He explains that further in Ephesians chapter 3. You can read this later. All the riches, Paul says, which were promised, proclaimed to, and presented to sinners in the gospel are in Christ. 
and for all those who are by faith in Christ. And those blessings are spiritual riches. And I can give you a rather, a rather incomplete list here, but they are reflective of what, I, of what I'm talking about here. We have the riches of reconciliation with God, freedom from sin, redemption, forgiveness of sins, security in the Lord, hope, eternity, spiritual power to persevere in the Christian walk, power against sin in this world, joy in the Lord, satisfaction, all is in Christ, and Christ is all this to all of us who submit to him in faith. That's why Paul, in Ephesians 1-3, he begins that section wonderful section on salvation saying praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves with Jesus summary of this mystery is Christ in you the hope of glory this is our blessed hope we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the Lord of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ this is the charge of Paul's ministry to preach the gospel and I want to focus to, f to finish our time together on this third point what is the purpose We've seen his attitude towards his ministry. He rejoices in the suffering because he knows that it's for a greater purpose. It's for the church. It's for the church and for God's glory. So he rejoices in the suffering. We've seen the charge of his ministry. He's been called to proclaim the mystery, to make the word of God fully known. What is the ultimate, the final purpose? of his ministry of the word. Paul's goal as a herald of the word was nothing less than, look at verse 28. He does all that and he says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. What's the purpose? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. Can you spot, can you identify, I mean, of course, of course you can, but just pay attention to how many words Paul used for proclaiming the word, teaching, instructing, you see? It's about what? It's about the word of God. Is it Paul who is capable of bringing people to faith? Does, does he rely on his rhetoric, on his communication power? He's not talking about that, that's not the power. The power is, is on the word. So him, Christ, him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So Paul's goal as a herald of the word was nothing less than presenting every man and woman perfect, mature in the faith before the Lord Jesus Christ at the last day. 
Remember that he knows he lives in the last days? But on the very last day, we are going to be accountable. Paul says, I want to get there and look back. And I know, I want to know that I did what I could preaching the word to present everyone that God put in front of me, around me, in my care, mature before the Lord. Do you, do you realize what you have in your hands? The responsibility, not only for pastors here, missionaries. This is your charge. This is the purpose of our ministry in Brazil. This is the challenge we have in Brazil and you have it here. How does he intend to reach such a lofty goal of presenting everyone mature in the Lord? I've said it already through the preaching and teaching of the scriptures. There is no secret. There is no other secret. It's the word, man. It's not you. It's not you, Sam. It's not you, Paul. It's not, it's not us. It's the word. We are mere instruments. Paul says we are just vases of clay, but we have gold within us, a treasure within us. That's the power of the word. There is no other way but the faithful and diligent preaching and teaching of the word of God to proclaim, admonishing people, teaching people the gospel whose proclamation can be entrusted to us is glorious. George Whitfield once said, other men can preach the gospel better than I. I doubt it. Very few people could do that, but he was being humble here. Other people, other men can preach the gospel better than I, but no man can preach a better gospel. He understood where the power lied, where it was. Listen. If Paul's goal was to present mature Christians to Christ, it becomes obvious that the ministry of the word to which Paul refers goes beyond the limits of the pulpit where I am now. It involves discipleship with all wisdom. And you know what? I trust, I, I said to a few friends of mine, a few colleagues of ministry in Brazil recently, and uh, more than once, and I will say it again, I sometimes don't think that we in Brazil and some of our churches and some of my colleagues and myself sometimes, I don't think we believe in the power of the word as much as we say we do. We are reformed all right. We believe in the inspiration, authority of the scripture. But do we? When it comes to the practical expression of it. Because sometimes we got ourselves thinking about ways to make it more effective. Ways to help it out. How can we, what can we do to attract more young people to church? What can we do to spread the, the, the church or to make it grow a little bit more? Hang on a second. How, can, how we train our pastors in seminary. I'm in a context of uh, Bible college. I, I see some things in different institutions. Do we believe that if I train this person here, in the Word of God for four years, four years, uh, the seminary in Brazil, if I train them that they have to learn, meditate, live, experience the Word of God for four years, do we believe that this will be uh, what he needs to go out there, be faithful, and help the kingdom of God? Or do we think that we need to train them in some other ways and trades so they can go out there and try and, and be a psychologist or whatever? Sometimes I don't think that we believe that. 
because we need to train pastors and the missionaries and other people in the word of God. They should be able to handle the word of God. That's what Paul says to Timothy. They should be able to do that. You should be able to do that. John Stott, your very own John Stott from London, he used to say that a church needs to be relevant in his society, in their society. We are relevant when we are different from them. And we are different from them when we preach the gospel that is old news, always great and good news. Faithfully and live it out. It hasn't changed. The need that society has is the same. Sin and forgiveness. They, that's the problem, sin. The cure is the gospel. Finally, Paul knew that he could do all this because of the power of Christ in him. Verse 29, he says, listen, he finishes this section saying, for this, for this purpose of presenting people mature before the Lord, I love this. This is our final purpose. This is our ultimate goal to present people mature. Do you understand that? To bring people to Christ. Obviously, you've got to look after yourself first. You've got to get there yourself. But then you've got to bring others with you. And Paul says, for this goal, for this purpose, I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul knew that it wasn't up to him. It was up to the Lord, giving him strength and energy to do it. He says, I do it. I struggle. I toil. I work hard. But I know that I do this by the, God, by, by the power of God in me. He knew that the two things go hand in hand. My effort, my work. But all this by God's grace. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul says, by, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of the other apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. I believe Matt Cliff might have uh, already quoted this to you. We both like this quote by John MacArthur very much. But this is something that he keeps repeating in his, some of his talks, and he did it very early in his ministry. When he was, I think, in Ireland or some, somewhere else in a conference, and someone came up to him and said, Listen, uh, John, how do you do, or how did you do to make your church grow so much? What is the secret? And he says, and I quote, Early in my ministry, I committed before the Lord that I would simply worry about the depth of my ministry, and I would let him take care of the breath, breath of it. Worry about your sanctification. You'll walk closely with the Lord. Worry about being faithful witness to Christ. Rejoice in Him. Enjoying Him. Let Him take care of the rest. In conclusion, gospel workers, Christians, witnesses of the gospel, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-encompassing or all-surpassing power it's from God and not from us. What are the benefits of suffering for the kingdom of God? How do they make us stronger Christians? Do you realize that Paul's ministry in the description of his ministry, attitude, charge, ethics, effort, 
mirrors Christ's attitude and ministry? It's a cruciform ministry. It's in the shape of a cross. He's just following the Lord. We need preachers. And Anna and I have been thinking and considering and we have been discussing with other people about the reality in the country, in my country. I bet it could be the reality in your country. We need in Brazil preachers and gospel workers who take seriously both the scriptures and godliness, who work consistently in dependence of the Lord, how like Paul did. We need preachers and gospel workers in Brazil who take seriously both the scriptures and the church, and the local church, to the point of rejoicing in suffering in favor of the church. And that, that is why when you are partnering with us, and you've been doing this for a few years, since I was a PhD student, I truly believe that, that the ministry is not our own in Brazil. You know that you are doing ministry in Brazil as well, as well through us, through your prayers and support. And then our aim as gospel workers is to work in the strength of the Lord that the Lord provides as hard as we possibly can in order to present every individual perfect before the Lord. We want to see pastors and more pastors, more missionaries doing the same, working for the same ultimate goal of presenting people mature before the Lord. This is what we've been doing in Brazil. This is what you have been doing in Brazil through your partnership with us uh, for so long. And we pray that here in Haydock, in St. Helens, in Liverpool, in England, the Lord will use you to raise up more preachers, leaders, gospel workers who will carry on, carry out the work faithfully and that you will make the difference wherever God has called, called you and put you. In your school, university, work, this is our goal. The young fellas, there is no good outside Christ. There is no career profession that will bring you satisfaction more than doing whatever God has called you to do. Be a sportsman, a lawyer, uh, whatever you are, whatever you do for God's ultimate purpose, for God's glory. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the honesty of our calling and of Jesus Christ and Paul. We've never, we have never been misled. We, you have called us to take up a, a cro our cross and follow you, Lord. And I pray that you will help us to do so. And I pray that you will use this community, uh, that they will continue to be a light in this community here, in this society, Lord, bringing people to the knowledge of Christ Jesus, our Lord, that you will strengthen their leaders, that you will strengthen everyone, every one of your sons and daughters here, Lord, to carry out this work faithfully. We pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your patience. Thank you so much, Diego. I think we're going to sing a...